everyone. If you've still got your Bibles from the reading that uh, Roger gave us earlier in Acts chapter 2, it would be good for you to have them open. Acts chapter 2 and verse 37. And a big thank you for um, allowing me not to come last week. Uh, There's a great phrase that used to be used when I was young to describe people when they were ill, that they were laid aside on a bed of sickness, which has got all sorts of graphic connotations for me. But I was pretty poorly last weekend. I'm not quite sure what it was. Um, I think it was some sort of fluey virus that I caught, and a a proper one, not the man sort, you know. Um, you've, You've heard people say that the difference between a cold and flu is that it's the 50-pound note test, that if there's a 50-pound note in your garden and you're lying in bed, if you say, oh, I'll go and get that 50-pound note, then it's a cold. If you couldn't care if the 50-pound note was there or blew away, then it's flu, all right? Well, I tell you, last weekend there could have been a whole part of 50-pound notes, and I just didn't want to move, but um, I'm feeling considerably better this weekend. So thank you for that, and... Um, I'm sorry that I wasn't able to prepare and and present to you a trilogy of messages, because I'm with you next week as well, on these verses in in Acts chapter 2. But we've come to uh, the response to what Peter had been saying. Um, Those of you who are into sport, uh, and particularly if you've got Sky Television, may know that yesterday was described as a day of destiny. That's the way it was advertised. In fact, it was, is this on? A day of destiny. You always do it in a deep voice and sound. Yesterday was a day of destiny in the sports world. For uh, a number of crucial games in various sports took place yesterday. The, the championship was sorted out, and uh, West Ham United were playing black. Oh, we got a happy hammer over there. <laughs> um, and West Ham United beat Blackpool to uh, get promotion to the Premiership. Uh, There was also a rugby game going on. I'm not particularly into rugby, but Ulster were playing Leinster, I think it was, a couple of Irish teams, and I think Leinster won. I just picked up on that, taking place at Twickenham, and that was a a major, it was the European Cup, I think, wasn't it? And then yesterday evening, not just on Sky, but on ITV as well, was the the European Championship. What's it called these days? It used to be called the European Cup. It's the European Championship, is it, these days? Anyway, Chelsea were playing Bayern Munich. And a cracking game. I, I don't support either of those teams, but it went right to the wire in the very last kick when Drogba scored the penalty in the shootout and Chelsea won the European Cup. So it was a, a significant day. And, and I think, although I'm into sport and particularly into football, even I sometimes think we overplay this. A day of destiny. Goodness me, it was only a few games taking place, you know. And... Um, One of the adverts that runs through the um, European Cup is to do with, uh, I can't, it shows how bad the advert is, because I can't remember if it's MasterCard or Visa who sponsor it, but it's making history, making history, a football game, making history? Perhaps 1966, when we won the World Cup, it's a bit of history, and of course when Coventry won the FA Cup in 1987, that blows that one out of the water. But are these really significant days? And I wonder if for you as an individual, there was a particular day, an event, uh, something that happened in your life that was a bit of a fulcrum and everything changed 
on that day. Well, as you look back over um, this as you, in your home groups, I'm going to ask you to think about that and think of significant times in your lives when things were not the same from that day on. I remember one particular day. I don't want to dwell on this. It was a, a traumatic time. Myself and a colleague of mine, maybe you know Bob Telford, we were running some camps back in 1986, and we had a horrendous car accident and a number of lives were taken. And I remember exactly where I was standing when my wife came up to me and told me of the death of some of the campers. And I, I don't know why, because you, you don't plan for these things at all, but I remember thinking when my wife told me that news, I thought, my life will never be the same from this point on. And I think in many ways it hasn't been. I look back to that time for all sorts of reasons, that things changed in my life from that point on. So perhaps all of us as individuals have, have a moment in our lives when things were never the same again. Now, I hope that if you were to do an interview with um, some of these 3,000 people that responded to Peter's message on this day of Pentecost, if you were to interview them a few years later, five, ten years later, and say, you know, what, what, was there a time in your life when things changed, when things were never the same again? I hope they look back to this day. Because if you read the response, particularly in verse 37, when the people heard this, when the people heard what Peter had been saying, and that's what you looked at last week, they were cut to the heart. Cut to the heart. Things are never the same again after what we have heard. And I think it's incredible that truth can have that sort of impact on the lives of individuals cut to the heart. And so the response there in verse 37 is, well, what do we do? What do we do in the light of what we've just heard? Things are not going to be the same again. And so as quick as a flash, Peter's response there in verse 38 is, repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, next week, we're going to have a look at baptism because that was the second part of the response that Peter called for for those who were cut to the heart, that you need to be baptized. So we're going to have a look at baptism next week. But this week, we're going to have a look at the word repentance, that first response that Peter calls for. But let me say, and this is concerning both aspects, repentance and baptism, what Peter is saying is this is for all of you. All of you, every one of you needs to respond in this way by repentance and baptism. He goes on in verse 39 to say that this promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all, on, all whom the Lord our God will call. So although this was proclaimed 2,000 years ago nearly, the response here to Peter's message is for all of us, all of us. So this isn't just a historical exercise that we're going through this morning. The response that Peter calls for here of repentance and baptism is for each one of us. But we're going to have a look at baptism. What comes into your mind when you think, uh, sorry, we're going to look at repentance. What comes into your mind when you think of the word repent? Uh, perhaps it's one of these sorts of images of people walking down the street with a banner, repent, or into the fire ye goeth. I'm not quite sure where that one came from. I think it was a Giles cartoon many years ago. Um, for most people in today's culture, if you hear the word repent, repentance, I think it's got a very negative overtone. Yeah? 
very accusatory, pointing the finger at people. You are wrong. You need to put things right. It's very old school. I think it's one of those words, one of those concepts, that perhaps many churches and many Christians want to consign to some sort of evangelical room 101, where it can just go into a black hole. We don't have to deal with it anymore. Along with the word sin, it would be nice if that could be consigned to room 101, wouldn't it? And hell and judgment and perhaps repentance as well, so we don't have to really consider it. But the fact is we can't get away from it. It was part of the Christian message right from the very beginning. Turn to Mark in chapter 1. And in the first chapter of Mark, we have recorded here the very beginning of the ministry of Jesus and the individual who prepared the way for Jesus was John the Baptist. And in Mark chapter 1 and verse 4, we read this. And so John came, baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And if you know anything about the way that John proclaimed, repentance and calling people to repent was at the very heart of the message that he proclaimed. And then in uh, chapter 14, John fades off the scene. He was, in fact, put in prison. After John was put in prison, Jesus, now he becomes the one to whom people go and listen. Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. What was his message? The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And here, back to Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, that it's sometimes recorded as being the birthday of the church. What is the heart of the message that Peter proclaims when people say, what shall we do? He says, you repent. You repent. It's there. Now, frankly, um, I would like to find another word that I could substitute for repentance. I'd like to perhaps water it down a little bit. I sometimes think I'd almost like to remove it from my preaching altogether. But actually, it's very difficult to ignore it. It is there. It's at the very start. It's at the very heart. It pervades all the proclamation of the good news in the New Testament. Repent. Repent. You see, for Peter, and I believe for us, if we are going to escape God's judgment, and if we are going to receive all the good that God has for us, then repentance is essential. We cannot get away from it. I might like to get a rubber and remove it from the New Testament, but there'd be a lot of gaps if I did. Repent, says Peter. And today, it must form part of our message as well. Repent. But what is it? What does it really mean then to repent, particularly in the context that we're looking at here? I, I've got um, two grandsons, uh, Freddie and Alfie. In fact, it's Freddie's fifth birthday this week, and this afternoon we'll be celebrating um, a family party uh, for Freddie, a superhero-themed party. I did half think of going and getting some sort of costume, the Incredible Hulk or... Captain America or some other individual I'd never heard of, and I thought, no, no. But um, Freddie and Alfie, his younger, son, uh, his younger brother is, is three years old, uh, they generally get on very well together. But every so often they will argue, they'll fall out over something. They come around our house and they've got a book or 
It's usually over a piece of technology, actually, they argue these days. And incredible how things have developed. And so they will start to um, say, no, it's mine. No, I did it first. It's mine. Then there'll be a bit of pushing and shoving. And then there might be not you know, a full fist fight, but uh, you know, a bit of punching and things like that. And, and mom or grandma and grandpa steps in. Who started it? Well, you never get that right. Okay, Freddie, say sorry to Alfie. So then begrudgingly through teeth, sorry. And then the other way around, Alfie, say sorry to Freddie. Sorry. Is that repentance? Well, of course, repentance is more than saying sorry, but in fact, that's part of it. It is saying sorry. We can read in the Old Testament where God called his people to turn back to him, to repent. And he says, take words with you. Actually formulate a vocabulary to express how sorry you are. Now, of course, repentance is more than just saying, I'm sorry. But I think saying, I'm sorry, is part of it. I'm in the wrong. And of course, as we grow up and we get more sophisticated and we're no longer children, we, we do something wrong and we're found out, okay? And it dawns on us, the consequences of the, the error of our ways, that not only have we been found out and so we're a bit embarrassed, but also it's affected others as well. As we think about it, there's a, a great deal of remorse. Is repentance remorse? Well, it's more than that. It is deeper than that, but there's remorse in it as well. We've got to realize that we have messed up, and it's not only affected us, but it's affected others as well. Referring back again to your, your home groups, one of the things that I hope you'll look at is the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15 and the process that he went through when he realized he'd messed up and the effect that it had on others. Repentance is more than saying I'm sorry, but saying I'm sorry is part of it. It's more than being remorseful, but being remorseful must be part of repenting. But what is it? What is it? Frankly, I find it quite difficult to get my mind completely around what it means. Um, I travel to London every so often. Not as often as, as I'm sure as some of you, but um, when you're in London, you tend to use the tube. And I I've sort of got my mind around how the tube works, but even though I've been on it um, on many occasions, I can still make mistakes, particularly on the sorts of lines. Well, the, the central line is, is a, a, a route I use quite regularly, and it's one of those unusual routes that you can get on, for example, at um, Oxford Street, traveling west. And you think, well, I'm on the central line, I'm traveling west. I remember once being on the train and talking to the guy next to me, talking about what we were going to do when we were going to get off at Ealing, okay? And it was one of those unusual situations where somebody began to talk to me, somebody else I didn't know. It doesn't happen very often on the underground. But they overheard my conversation that I was going to go to Ealing. And he said, oh, this train's not going to Ealing. It branches off partway through and goes up to West Ryslip, all right? So there I was on a train going in one direction, and I realized it wasn't going in the direction I wanted it to go. Did I feel sorry about that? I don't want to make too much of this, but yes. I thought, oh. Did I feel remorseful? Well, it wasn't deep remorse, but I thought, oh, you Burke Cooper, you've got on the wrong train. And so did I just sit there feeling sorry and feeling remorseful? No. 
Something else had to take place, otherwise I was going to end up at the wrong direction, in the wrong destination. I had to get off at the next station and get off and get on the right train that was going to the right destination. Now, in a sense, that's what repentance is. It's a complete change of direction. The feelings, the words may come before it, but in the end, I've got to do something to change my mind, to change my heart, to change the direction in which I'm traveling. Now, the context, particularly the context here in Acts chapter 2, is that message that Peter had been preaching that you looked at last week. It was this great Jewish festival, and tens of thousands of people had gone up to Jerusalem for Pentecost. And they'd seen something happen with this group of people that they thought were drunk. But then they listened to what they had to say. But these people had a certain view of the one that Peter was talking about. They'd probably heard about what had been going on in the previous few weeks and months. This man, Jesus, from Nazareth. They were used to false prophets coming on the scene and trying to overturn the Roman Empire and claiming all sorts of things. And they'd heard about Jesus and, oh, there's been somebody else who stuck their head above the parapet. And so they thought, another false prophet. They thought, cursed by God. Why? Well, because he's been executed. He's been hung on a cross. And that's a sure sign of God's disapproval. The Gentiles have taken this man and they have executed him. They've given him what he deserves. He's dead and buried and gone. That was their view of Jesus Christ. And now Peter stands up. And he talks about this man, Jesus Christ. And he says, you need to change your mind about him. When he calls for repentance, it's to do with the person of Jesus Christ that they need to repent of. You've got a certain view of Jesus. That is wrong. You think he has been rejected by God, that he is a liar, that he is a false prophet. No, no, no. God has chosen this individual. And to prove that he is the one that God has chosen, God has raised him from the dead, validating all that he said, all that he did. Now you see, when it comes to this business of repentance and what it is, very often we link it to lifestyle, don't we? We talk about certain sins, things that we all do wrong. So we say, you need to repent of your lies. You need to repent of the anger that's in your life. You need to repent of the immoral lifestyle that you are living. And of course, there are verses in the Bible that talk about that, about how we must turn away from the wrong in our life, in our lives. But I'm pretty sure on this day of Pentecost, with those tens of thousands of people that were there, there was the fair share of drunks, and liars, and wife beaters, and those who had really screwed up in their lives, you know, like any congregation. There were people like that. But Peter didn't mention that at all, did he? He didn't talk about personal sin. He talks later on about fleeing from a corrupt generation. But that's later on. At this point, he's not talking about that. God's judgment on any individual is not 
based on their lifestyle. Whether it's been a good life or a bad life, whether you've been a generous individual or whether you've been miserly. But it's what do you think of Jesus Christ? That's the turning point. What do you think of him? Do you think of him just as a historical figure, a leader of a a world religion, but frankly, dead, gone, unimportant? Or do you think he is Lord and Christ? That's the choice. And that's the point of repentance here in this passage. In fact, you may want to turn to this. In, In John chapter 16, And this is before Jesus had been arrested and tried and executed. Jesus was with his disciples and he was talking about the fact that he was going to go away. But that the Holy Spirit would come and do a work amongst them and also amongst those that they began to have contact with. Uh, We'll read from verse 5. John chapter 16 and verse 5. Now I am going to him who sent me, yet none of you asks me where you Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So he's talking about the work that the Holy Spirit will do through them after Christ's resurrection and ascension. When he comes, verse 8, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness, and judgment. Now, he makes that statement there. This is going to be a work of the Holy Spirit through you. He's going to do a work of convicting people of sin. Okay? Guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. Well, what sort of sin? What sort of guilt? Well, he goes on to say, verse 9, in regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. That's the crucial sin that people need to turn away from. That's the crucial sin that each one of us needs to repent of. Who do we think Jesus Christ is? Do we think that he's a nobody, insignificant, or just vaguely interesting? Or, as these people understood, and this is what cut them to the heart, that he is Lord and Christ. To be frank, and I paused before putting this in my notes, but I, I believe it to be true. I couldn't care about your lifestyle. I couldn't care about the way you're living at this moment. Whether you think you're good or bad or indifferent. The most important thing is, who do you think Jesus Christ was? Who do you think Jesus Christ was? You need to change your mind about him. Everything else will follow. Peter here promises the Holy Spirit back in Acts chapter 2. And when the Holy Spirit comes on us, he leads us into all truth. And he will deal with lifestyle. But that will come later. The starting point, the fulcrum on which lives are changed, is when they change their attitude about Jesus Christ. We thought he was a false prophet, dead and gone. We realize we are wrong. 
He is Lord and Christ. And Peter says you need to change your mind about him. I want to close by showing you a video with a very poor soundtrack. I'm sorry about that, so I'll need to do a bit of explaining. The only reason I want to use it is it's contemporary. It's only a couple of weeks old. I shot this at our own church at the end of a service, and that's why it's a bad soundtrack, because there's so much noise going on in the background. And it's a very brief interview with a man called Andrew Walsh. Andrew came along to some events we were running just about 18 months ago in our church from a completely non-religious background. A long story, how he got in contact with us and started to come along. And I asked him the question, you don't hear me asking the question, but what made an impact on you when you started to come along to these events? He talks about a couple called uh, John and Rosemary Frankel and what they said and how that had an impact on them. So let's just watch and listen to Andrew's testimony, and you'll see how I believe it reinforces some of the things I've been saying this morning. So just very briefly. So I don't know if you picked up on that, but I, I simply asked the question, what was it that stuck out to you when you started to come along to these things? And he said, as Christians, you, took, you take it as read that Jesus is the most important thing in your life. He said, but it's the first time I've heard that. First time I heard that Christianity is about Jesus Christ. And since he's made a commitment to Jesus, and the difference in his life, the change in Andrew's life is absolutely remarkable. It really is. And I believe it's because he, he got things right at the beginning. He repented of his attitude to Jesus. He had got no concept of Jesus whatsoever. And he realized that Jesus is Lord and Christ. So repentance. Any genuine change that's going to take place in an individual starts with us changing our minds about him. If we are going to avoid God's judgment, if we are going to receive all the good that God has for us, this is the starting point. The Jesus who you rejected, says Peter, God has made Lord and Christ. Is he your Lord? Have you chosen him to be your savior? Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Let's pray together. Father, we live in this world where so many names are proclaimed. Some good, some bad, some indifferent. And Jesus Christ is seen as one amongst many. Help us, if we haven't already, to see, to understand, to respond to the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. He is your Christ, your chosen one. You are the one that sent him. You're the one that raised him from the dead. And it's to him that we must respond. Help us to understand this and help us to respond, we pray. For we ask it in his name. Amen.